There are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I am your host, Elise Cortez, joining you live from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. If you've been tuning in for a while, you know this program is all about helping people create more meaningful and productive personal and work lives and equipping leaders inside organizations to cultivate meaning and purpose that elicits passion, inspired contribution, innovation, and persevering performance. I talk with my guests to draw on their expertise and share my own experience consulting, speaking, and developing workforces across the globe. Every week in these conversations, I hope you walk away with something you can immediately put to use in your life and that you come alive with the possibility of living with passion, working on purpose, and are inspired to discover for yourself just how big and fulfilling your life, work, and leadership can be. And if you do catch fire from anything you hear, reach out and tell me about it. Email me at elise at elisecortez.com or go to my website, elisecortez.com, and use the contact me feature to send me a message. Tell me how I can help when you reach out, whether you want to be part of the email distribution list to hear of these radio shows, if you want to see about joining a Catch Fire online inspiration, accountability, or mastermind community, or ask about one of the leadership experiential retreats across the United States that we're doing these days. You want information on our purpose-driven leadership programs for individuals or companies offered via webcast or on-site, or you want me to speak for your company or conference, happy to do that. At any rate, I'm glad we're connected, and thank you for listening. Now, on to this week's program. With me, right next to me, and we are doing this via Facebook live stream as well, is Griffin Hopi. He is a 19-year-old singer-songwriter based here in Dallas, Texas. He is a voracious songwriter and writes and performs high-energy blues rock. He plans to continue and develop his singing career while continuing to spread his message through speaking and his music that you are not alone. We'll be talking about his early teen struggle with anxiety, depression, and abandonment concerns, and what he's doing in schools to share what he's learned as a powerful and relatable spokesperson spokesperson on the topic of course i'm also going to ask him to sing (laughs) we are here together in his home and this is again as i said via facebook live as well griffin welcome for the first time to working on purpose thank you thank you so much i'm glad to be here isn't this fun um so i've known you for many 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 years years. and i have been hosting this radio show for more than four years and this is the first time you've been on it Mm-hmm. So, for our listeners who don't know anything about you as I do, so will you share a little bit about your background? I know you were born in Russia and you were adopted by, of course, the Holtby family here in Dallas. So, first, I think it probably makes sense to tell us the experience of what it was like to be adopted and mm-hmm. what that was like for you. Yeah. Um, well, adoption is like one of the biggest silver linings in the world <clears throat> ever of all time, just in general, um, because there's a very interesting dichotomy. So, like, I was born in Russia and my birth mother was 19 years old. She was from Ukraine. And in that part of the world at that time, uh, having a child out of wedlock um, was something worthy of tossing out a family member onto the street. So she hid her pregnancy from her family and fled to Russia. And she gave birth to me on February 14th in 2000 and stayed with me for two days roughly and then put me up for adoption in Lubertsky baby home which is um, one of the reasons that I wonder every day why I'm here. Like, um, it's just such a coincidence that I was adopted by such a beautiful family here in Texas. So 
eight months later, um, I was adopted and it worked basically by my parents getting tapes from different adoption agencies and looking at babies and, um, and they, they saw me and they just immediately knew that I was the one. So, Okay, awesome. Two things really quick on mm-hmm. dates. Interesting that your mother had you at 19, your same age. Can you imagine having mm-hmm. a child now yourself? Right. right. And secondly, you were born on Valentine's Day? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Nope. It explains everything. <laughs> right. That's why you're so lovable. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay, so now for those people, and it's interesting, I'd love to hear there's people watching here on Facebook live stream. Maybe some of you have adopted someone or maybe um, you yourself are adopted. So now we want to understand what was the experience of being adopted that contributed to your depression, your abandonment. Yeah. Um, well, there's a lot of things that we deal with subconsciously and that come out in our behavior and our interactions with other people without us really understanding what the source is, why it's happening, why we feel the way we do. Um, and a lot of my frustration with my abandonment um, had to do with my behavior. So like I was acting out quite a bit and uh, basically around in high school, it had a lot of other factors in it, but ultimately over the years, just this idea that, you know, from the day I was born, I had two two days. And in those two days, my birth mother decided on her personal family over me. Um, and that's something that I can't control in any way, shape or form. I've never met her. Um, I have a letter from her and I know what her name is. It's Yekaterina Mikolovna Cheroglas. Oh my gosh, you say that so beautifully. <laughs> Thank you. I practiced it. Um, <laughs> but, and I don't know anything about my father, um, but that lack of knowing, it's not as much about the feeling of abandonment. It's a lot about the lack of knowing and not really being able to say, I know exactly where I came from. Um, and that had an effect on me. And when I was depressed, that was something that really pushed me over the edge that, you know, added fuel to the fire. So say more about the, you mentioned acting out. So what does acting out mean? What kind of self- oh, behaviors are we like talking about here? Self-harm, um, you know, drinking and, and drugging. Um, at the time of my life, I was. And I was 13, 14 years old in, in high school at St. Mark's School of Texas. And I, uh, over the course of six months, I had emptied every bottle of liquor in my family's liquor cabinet. Wow. Which is an impressive feat, but not a good thing to be proud of. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I would get home from school and I would just lay in bed. I wouldn't do my homework. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to be a part of the world. I just wanted to feel better. And I didn't feel like anybody else had that, that answer for me or had that ability. And I knew that you have to feel better on your own, but I didn't know how to get there. Um, and so, you know, it eventually ended up with me running away from home, which is a crazy story. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. So first two things really quick. Depression is real. Real. It's It's real, real real deal. It's so, so important that we talk with you the listeners that you're, you're hearing this is that if you feel anything like this, this is a real deal. It's not something to be poo pooed or pushed aside or, Oh, it's not, you know, it's not something that I should take for real or whatever you want to say. Depression takes lives. Yeah. (laughs) It takes so many lives. Yeah. Yeah, so so to now, so here you are. You're what'd you say, thirteen or fourteen years old? Thirteen or fourteen years old. Okay, yeah. and, and so so now let's go further, a little bit further into this deal. So then you get into eighth grade. What mm-hmm. was going on for you in the eighth grade? Okay, so in the eighth grade, that actually happened before everything else. I kind of okay. jumped again. Sorry, okay. y'all. It's all right. So in the eighth grade, um, I I left a band that I had put together with a school that I'd worked at. Um, 
what I'd taken lessons at called Zound Sounds. And I'd basically written all the songs for this band um, lyric wise and worked on the chord progressions and spent so many hours up at three in the morning when I shouldn't have been uh, sitting there trying to write songs because um, it's what I love to do. And I eventually got pushed out to the edge of that. And that triggered this change in my psyche because my identity was connected to my band at school. So at St. Mark's, some of you might not know, it's a very uh, prestigious boys' school, very high on athletics and academics. And I was like the kid who, uh, you know, wore skinny jeans to the football games and got made fun of for that and got called gay mm-hmm. for that and stuff, which is the stupidest reason to pick on anybody. But um, Isn't it, though? It is such a dumb reason. But um, basically, I, I got kicked out of the band pretty much. I left and got kicked out almost simultaneously. And um, it was like I had lost another family. Um, that I'd identified with. And so that really kicked off um, a summer of of frustration and we went on vacation and I was acting a fool. Um, And when I got home, uh, basically a week before school started, um, a few days before school started, um, I had, some could say a suicide attempt, some could say just really hardcore suicidal ideation. but I'd hung up a noose in my room and I was too drunk to actually get myself into it. And I passed out and fell on the floor and woke up the next day. And my parents were like, okay, yeah, we're going to solve this right now. So um, I spent my first week of high school in children's hospital at, in the psych ward. Okay. So first I want to understand what was that like? So, cause I, you did tell me that that's a, a whole week. That was your first week of, of high, high school. school yeah. You're in the psych ward at Dallas children's hospital what was that like? Very interesting. So when you get into an environment like that, there's a lot of different people with different issues. So you get to learn, you get to one see, wow, you know, either, you know, I've got it good in regards to my life and stuff. And I don't know why I'm sad, you know, which causes another question because you see other people who are in much worse situations. Um, but that was kind of the start of getting the vernacular and the, um, the understanding of the words and the descriptions and the visualizations of what's going on in my brain, what's going on in my emotions. Um, Because up until this point in my life, I understood that your heart was where your emotions come from because I'd seen that in Disney movies and whatnot, but it's really (laughs) your brain. It's chemicals in the brain. And um, so on the physical aspect, I learned about, you know, the science of it. Mm -hmm. And on the other aspect, I learned a lot of coping mechanisms. So, um, you know, I got home and my parents were really frustrated because I started drumming for two hours a day in our garage, which is extremely loud. Drawing? Drumming. Just, drumming. With a okay, full drumming. drum kit, yeah. Okay. And um, there's a lot of things that we do every day that we don't understand actually puts us a little bit deeper down in the hole um, when every day you should be building a rung to the ladder. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of learned how to switch my energy from, you know, digging myself downwards further and isolating myself to kind of growing out of it. Um and I learned all of that, but I didn't use it. I knew what it was, and I just refused to use it. I was being cocky. Why? Why did you refuse to use it? Um, I just had this anger. I'd been bullied for basically every school I'd been in. Um, I'd lived in Mexico for two years with my family and been bullied there. And I had felt eventually, by the time we left, I'd felt happy. I was like finally in my place, and then we just got ripped out of it again, which is oh, understandable wow. because we were there for a purpose, just to learn how to speak Spanish. But um, that affected me, too. And, and when I got back, I was a different kind of person who saw a different part of the world and a different perspective. And so when I wasn't as readily accepted by people, 
I kind of put it in on myself thinking, you know, this is my fault. Like something's wrong with me. And also, um, I wanted to, I wanted to see society burn. To be honest, Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction album was the soundtrack of my life at that period. And the way that, and I know I, this is music stuff, but I love to communicate with music. The anger that Zach De La Rocha from Rage Against the Machine and Axl Rose has in Guns N' Roses, even whether it may be true or not, that's something that I wanted to actualize. Like I was so angry because I didn't understand why people didn't want to just love me. I didn't understand why I was being bullied. And I didn't have the answers for that, even though I'd been through, you know, that treatment. I uh, thought that I had the answers myself. Yeah. Um, and so it goes to show that even if somebody's been through treatment, um, it starts when you get out. That's not the beginning of your life again. Mm-hmm. You know, it starts when you get out of treatment and you actually have to put it into, you know, into play in everyday life. Yeah. Okay. So here's what I'm finding really interesting about this. I have known you. Let's see. I met your, I, I'm happy to say that I introduced my ex-husband to your dad oh, yeah. years and years ago through my Christmas card, through my holiday Christmas card. Is that card. seriously how that That's happened? how it happened. That's I so take cool. so much credit for that. Christopher <laughs> Hopi, that is going to go down in history for, my, awesome. for my life. And so I got to know you pretty, pretty soon into that whole deal. So mm-hmm. here's what is remarkable about listening to you tell the story. For sure. Now, mind you, I didn't know you super well. You've been at my house many times. Mm-hmm. But I never knew you were going through all this stuff. I Nobody never knew did. it. Nobody really did. So that's the, that's the part of the point that we're trying to make here, right? Yeah, is being totally. able to bring this out into the into the to the world and share it with people who can actually help us. Mm-hmm. I know it's part of your message. But before we get to that, um, one of the things that you said, and when we were talking about this, is that um, you felt lonely even around your friends. And so, it, how even even if you could talk to your friends about this stuff, they're probably not going to be able to help you. But were you able to talk with your friends about this stuff? Yeah. Um, in that regard, so when you're in high school, middle school, every single kid's going through something. Either by the time you're 18 and graduate, either everyone around you has either lost a parent, a parent or grandparents of some had lost in their family, um, has probably had their heart broken in some way or another. Um, and has probably faced either a mental health issue or a situational issue with their life um, and the people that they're around. But before that, talking to your friends is like shooting in the dark because they're in the same position as you. So if you're a freshman or in eighth or ninth grade and you don't know what's going on with your life and you tell your friends, I feel sad in the biggest crowds. It's like, why do you feel the most lonely in the biggest crowds? I don't know, maybe because I believe that every single person here doesn't want to talk to me. And so in that regard, they can't really help. They don't have the knowledge and the wisdom to help. And so part of my message, I would say, is the hardest thing as a kid to do, um, and especially in today's day and age, because kids don't converse with adults as much as they used to, is to reach out to an adult or a counselor or somebody in your school, somebody you trust. And sometimes that's not even your parents, because your parents could be part of the problem. So um, that would be my message. I would say, you know, the biggest problem that we're facing <clears throat> is is not just the depression, anxiety, because that's been going on for a long time. It's the fact that people don't want to say anything about it. People want to hush, hush it up. And I'm not going to lie. When I went to treatment, my family did that. We did that. We hushed, hushed it up. We didn't want anybody to know because we didn't know what was going to happen. Right. They had the idea like Griffin's going to kill himself. He is no longer going to be around and we're going to be that family that people always look at us and say, I'm sorry. And so the best thing to do 
is to reach out because you'll be so surprised to find that every single person within your vicinity is going to reach out and arm to help you because we're American people. We love each other. And, you know, I have a firm belief in the fact that everyone's born as a good human being. And when I did that, eventually that that rung true. That was the truth. And okay. people did that. Okay, that is so great. I'm going to make a comment on what you said here, but let's grab our first break here, Griffin, and listeners sure. here on, on Facebook. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We're on the air with, with Griffin Holpe, who is a 19-year-old singer-songwriter here in Dallas, Texas. He plans to continue to develop his singing career while purposefully spreading his message through speaking and his music that you are not alone. Having learned and transformed himself through his own experiences with anxiety, depression, and abandonment, we are here in his Dallas home for this conversation. We've been talking a bit about his background, what it was like for him to be adopted, going through the abandonment and depression issues. After the break, we're going to talk more about what he's doing to share his message and hear some of his music. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in again this week. If you're just joining, if you're just joining us now, my guest is Griffin Holpen, Hopi, who is a 19-year-old singer-songwriter based here in Dallas, Texas. He is a voracious songwriter and, and writes and performs his high-energy blues rock. He plans to continue and develop his singing career while continuing to spread his message through speaking and his music that you are not alone to help people, especially youth still in school, get the help they need when confronting anxiety or depression. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. All right, that works. Thank you so much, no Robin. See, this is a great thing <laughs> about, so like about being videos. flanked by young people. Okay, so <laughs> what I wanted to say about what you were sharing before we were we, we um, took our break there was you were talking about not feeling like you could share your message. You couldn't share what what it was like to be mm-hmm. to be feeling the way that you were feeling with your friends. Um, and one of the things that we know is that in today's technological days, it's actually worse because all the technology actually makes us feel like we should know a lot of people and be connected, but we're not. We and don't. so it makes it worse. It amplifies the problem. Yes. It's yes, a it known issue. Exactly. Right. And so I really appreciate your message um, about being able to not just talk with your friends who aren't equipped to be able to handle something like this, but adults who can. Mm-hmm. So who did you start to talk with? Well, um, that was a kind of an interesting road. So back to end of um, freshman year, um, and I was telling you all the story about, so all of freshman year, um, I was in the same cycle as I'd been in eighth grade. Like I said, I didn't listen to what I'd learned. Yeah. And um, so the reason that I finally got help was I eventually ran away from home uh, for 48 hours, and then I did it again. And the second time, my parents realized we're never going to see our kid again if he doesn't come home. Like he's just going to disappear or something bad's going to happen. So they hired a private investigator, um, which didn't work. And I ended up just coming home on my own. And I woke up the next day with goons in my room. 
Uh, if you don't know what goons are, they're just two big bulky guys who will show up with a pair of handcuffs and, and take kids who parents know aren't going to smoothly walk into a treatment center to treatment. And so they had custody of me for like six hours and put me on a plane and I flew up to a rehab treatment center that is actually the same one where Jan- Johnny Manziel was there while I was there, which is crazy. Um, and then uh, I ran away from that too. And um, I was just being a just a cocky jerk at that point. I was just angry. Um, and what finally worked was me going to this place called Blue Fire, an angel fire called, uh, or sorry, Blue Fire in um, Utah or Idaho. Sorry, it gets mixed up, Idaho. And it was a um, wilderness survival therapy thing for 10 weeks. Wow. And the therapist wow. there, Ten John weeks. Warbitz. Yeah, I had, I showered once a week. I had a tarp, no tent, just a tarp. We had a ground pad, we had a sleeping bag and a bag, and basically that's it. And then we had to like cook our own food and everything. It strips you down to the basics. There's ask, no social media. Okay. Exactly. There's no social media. To You have to do meditation every day without, like, to not go crazy. You, um, you know, you can't complain. They don't care. If you're, you know, like, if you have sores <laughs> And there's feet, no running away from no that either. Away. If you run away in the wrong direction, you will die. Because you'll go through the desert, yeah, basically. So you're stuck there, and um, our uh, we call him, we used to call him like the rock star therapist because he had this long wavy hair and he always <laughs> stood on top of rocks like he was a god. But John Warbitz, <laughs> he just didn't take any BS. He, um, if you'd say something, he's like, "You're lying. Prove to me that you're not lying about this." And he would just go hard. And I hated sessions with him sometimes. Um, but he really made me get all the skeletons out of the closet, you know? Mm. Um, and uh, from there on, that's kind of when the, the process started, the healing process. So I went to another place in Utah called um, Catalyst for 10 months and worked with a therapist there. It was like a frat house with like 25 guys, but just switch frat with therapy. And you just can't leave on your own, obviously. Um, and uh, that's really where the change happened for me. Wow. That is just amazing. Okay, so a couple things real quick for the people that are both watching here on Facebook Live and who are listening to this 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 podcast now. So how did you run away and escape? Before you oh, able- I ran out my front door. You ran out your I front door. I parked a bag, ran out my front door. I was okay, this is uh my dad's gonna kill me for being honest, but I don't care. I want you guys to know the real me. And the fear <laughs> about it is that like I'll have another episode or like something like that in my life where I have a really bad time in one year or something like that. That's not gonna happen because I have music and I know exactly what I'm gonna do with the rest of my life. But at this time, um, I was you know, I was drinking a lot and I thought it would be a good idea to just put a towel on the door and try to smoke cigarettes in my room with all of my windows open. And I have a connecting room to William and Gavin, my brothers. And that was just an idiot idea. So I have my dad basically break down my door because it was locked and comes into my room, starts screaming at me, which rightfully so, like, what the hell was I doing? I was 14 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd already packed a bag right by the door and I just waited it out, waited for them to go to sleep. And I just grabbed it and bolted and just went straight to a friend's house. Uh, yeah. Okay. It was a very, very volatile, um, negative, acidic situation. Yeah. Um, and it was caused by me. And I didn't know really what to do. And so the smartest thing for me was to get to a place where <clears throat> I could escape all the time, which for me was alcohol. And, and so I wanted to be in a place where I wouldn't have anybody holding me back from 
at that point, the solution to my pain. Um, and so at that, by that point, it had been about a year. And to me, in my mind, it felt like my parents have already proven that they can't help me. Mm. They, but it was because I hadn't said anything. I hadn't told them anything. The only thing that they'd done to help me, because I wouldn't say anything and let them help me, was send me away to places. And that created a very angry um, discord between me and my family um, that that I used to my advantage at that time. Yeah. Okay, so you know, I have a 16-year-old daughter, and I, you know, thank goodness we're we're in a, we're in a pretty good place. But what I do recognize, though, is just hard to grow up in this world. It's just oh, really yeah, hard. Totally. And and so for those of you who are listening to this, whether you are yourself somebody that's gone through life and it's been hard for you, maybe it's hard for you this very moment, or you have a a, a child and it's hard for them. I hope that what you're getting out of this conversation is the presence of just the rawness of all this and how intense all this is and. For you, not knowing where to where to put all this stuff, where mm-hmm. do I take this stuff? It's like I wrote a short story for school about it that was part fantasy, part real. Um, but uh, I don't remember anything from those four days, really. I I remember using my personal. By the way, parents, um, this might sound like a side note, but any <laughs> app that tracks your children, you they can track you. So if you ever lose them and they run away from you, then they can use that to find out where you're looking for them and know where to be, um, which is what I did. And um, the person that I was at that time, I can't explain to you who he was because any conversations or interactions I would have would end in anger and frustration and yelling. Um, and I didn't know what I wanted. Like I just was a angry ball of frustration that just wanted to be away from any responsibility anyone who cared because I had a personal driven like nailed in belief that nobody can help me mm-hmm. it's not worth working with anybody nobody can help me um and so you know it, it became a uh it became a I put four days became a year's worth of work okay so a couple of things yeah. this is amazing so one of the things that I say when I'm out speaking and in my programs mm-hmm. is we need to embrace adversity because it helps us become who we are meant to become in this oh, yeah, life. Totally. Looking at you, a young I wouldn't change a freaking right? mind. Right? I mean, looking at <laughs> you at 19 years old, you are heads, neck, and shoulders ahead of so many kids. Mm-hmm. Now, please, Thank I'm you. not saying that I want you guys to go through this. Please, that's Don't not what I'm that. saying. No. <laughs> but, but what you've done, the work that you've done to embrace this stuff and fold it into your person to become who you are today is awesome. Thank and you. you're welcome. And... The fact that you're out now, and the reason I wanted to have you on my show is this is a show about working on purpose. Mm-hmm. You are completely working on purpose. You Thank are you. out now evangelizing your story and sharing very, very courageously and vulnerably what you've been through in your music and in your speaking to help others so that they can get through what you went through, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And I just think that is so great. And so your message is is a lot about asking for help and not walking alone. Yeah. So... Tell us more, a little bit, a little bit more context about that, and then I want you to sing a song. Okay, okay. Um, well, basically, the best thing you can do um, if you're depressed or like anxious, or if you're in high school or in college, is you just need one person to know. Like, you just need one person because you know a lot of people in that position that don't have anybody make decisions that they cannot regret because they're not around anymore, and suicide's a real problem. Um, yes, it and is. If you have one person who knows that either you are suicidal in a way or are completely like throwing everything to the wind, depressed or in any way, shape or form, mentally unwell, 
um, that one person can kind of keep an eye on you. Even if you feel like you have to go through it alone, which you shouldn't have to, even if you feel like you can't talk to anyone or tell them what's going on, you need to have somebody who knows that there is something going on who can, you know, say, wow, I haven't seen them in like two days. That's a problem. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, everyone's going to have a moment like what I had. It's going to be different. It's going to be maybe, you know, somebody loses their daughter in a car accident because they're drunk or something like that right. that creates shame and anger within yourself. Right. And personally, I believe I wouldn't be the one I was person I am today if I hadn't faced it alone for so long. Because it, it doesn't just teach you how to be a better person, but it teaches you more about yourself. And so in that regard, um, if there's nobody to reach out to, you're going to be screaming in silence and nobody's going to hear you. And so you're going to have to take that leap of faith to reach out to somebody who might not be the ideal person, but there has to be one person. It's, it, you can't go through that alone. Um, and I mean, if I had gone through it completely alone and I didn't have my parents to help me, I probably would be dead right now. Well, and so to just to emphasize that point, and I want to say more about it when, after you sing, but we are social beings. We were, exactly. we were, we survived because, you know, we, we lived in caves together. If mm-hmm. you're outside the cave, you're in really big trouble. Oh, yeah. Right. So the fact that what you're saying to ask for help and to ask an adult for help mm-hmm. is really, really important. And what I'll also say just quickly is that what we know from the resilience studies mm-hmm. is that... If you're, if you're going through anything in life, if you have one adult, one adult who really believes in you and sees you for the special person that you are, mm-hmm. it can make the world Oh, my difference. God. It can change it all. And, you know, every nobody wants to be like feel like they're the weak link. Right. Like in a friend group, if you're the one who's like depressed or whatever, that's oftentimes something that I've heard people say, like, I don't want to be the weak link. But it's funny because I've also seen that person in groups be the person who brings together people because um, something like sadness and emotions is something that everybody understands. Yeah. And if you don't understand that, then you're not human. That's right. Like, you know, so hypothetically, every single person in this world could help another person with it. Yeah. And so what you're saying, and I, when I'm out speaking and working with men and women is there's so many of us that have, and we starts very early in life, just like you're talking mm-hmm. about the conditioning to, to shut off our emotions, which is just what makes down. us, what, what makes us, human beings and gives us access to the full complement of humanity mm-hmm. is 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 a, a catastrophe it's just it's why would you cut off half of your being or more than half of your being by exactly. shutting off your emotions so um amazing lesson from a young man Thank now you. it's we're at a place where i i need to take a quick break and i don't want to rush your okay. song no worries so listeners if you will hang with us for just one quick second we're going to go for our, our next short break i'm elise cortez your host we're on the air with griffin holtby who is a 19 year old singer and songwriter based here in dallas he plans to continue and develop his singing career while purposely spreading his message through speaking and his music that you are not alone, having learned and transformed himself through his own experiences with anxiety, depression, and abandonment. We are together in his Dallas home for this conversation. We'll be right back, and he's going to sing when we come back. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. 
This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Griffin Holtby, who is a 19-year-old singer and songwriter based here in Dallas, Texas. He is a voracious songwriter and writes and performs high-energy blues rock. He plans to continue to develop his singing career while continuing to spread his message through speaking and his music that you are not alone to help people, especially youth still in school, get the help they need when confronting anxiety or depression. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So for this next part here, Griffin, as you cue up your song here, first, before you play it, I want you to tell us why did you write the song? Well, <clears throat> there were two songs. Okay, after coming home from treatment, I didn't do music for a while. Um, I did and didn't in different ways, but that's a long, different story. Um, but listening back to the songs that I'd put out and written before I went to treatment, I really realized, like, wow, I was really writing about what I was going through, and I didn't even know it. Um, but... Uh, it's, I mean, I think it speaks for itself. I, it's, it's, it's a very much about specific events with a girl. Um, but the overall message is, uh, it's about being alone okay. and learning to kind of walk on your own two feet. Um, and realizing that, you know, that's not what we're made for. Like we said, we're, we're social human beings. Yep. And so, you know, the feeling of loneliness that anyone feels, it's like if you drive on the highway and you drive in, Every single other person that's driving in the car by themselves probably feels the same way because they just haven't found their people yet. And um, so, yeah, mm-hmm. it just kind of acknowledges the fact that it's not an easy fe- feat. So, Got it. All right. So this song is called uh, Walk, Walk Alone. Alone. Yeah. That we used to fight Turn your head so that I didn't have to see you cry Oh, shame in your eyes The first time love died for me I remember the makeup running down your face Telling me that there's someone else and that I've been replaced Oh, it all just cold I was bought, I was sold for you Wishing that I was always there to hold you so tight Ooh, all just so cold I was bought, I was sold for you I've got my six-string lying on the floor in perfect tune Writing all of the songs that always reminded me of you Oh, this is goodbye, you always sigh at me I hate you and me It's so hard to 
Cause we all walk alone Oh my gosh, it brings me to tears. It's so beautiful, Griffin. So So beautiful. Wow. Oh my gosh, (laughs) that's just talent and heart and passion all together in one package. (laughs) Oh, okay. So I wish that we could... I'd love it. Those of you that are actually joining us via Facebook live stream, if you have any comments or reactions to what he just played, please just post them and we'll, we'll read them as we go. So next then Griffin, uh, I, I know you've been playing music for years, developing this amazing talent. Mm-hmm. Now we've, we, we've just Thank witnessed you. it. Um, are you still planning on becoming a professional rock star? Oh yeah, totally. I'm not going to do. Okay. So here's the deal. And my parents are going to see this and go, what you did that. Okay. So <laughs> last year I was applying to colleges at school and um, I came up. I came up with a friend of mine. I got next to. Uh, we pulled up on the street next to this guy, and uh, he was in the front of his car. And he had two daughters in the back, I guess, or a daughter and her friend. And they're in the back, like jamming out to like some pop song, something I would never listen to. <laughs> like jamming out so hard, the car was moving. And these girls are like six and seven or something. <laughs> and he's just like you could see the whites of his knuckles on the steering wheel, just like losing his mind. And um, I realized kind of in that moment that if I was in that position working a job, because in junior year, I wasn't, I wanted to be like a writer or something. I'd kind of given up on music um, just because I felt like it kind of caused me some of the pain that I'd been through. Um, I realized that if I was 35 years old and I wasn't standing on a stage in front of a stadium full of people and I was sitting in a cubicle instead, I'd probably go home, open a gun cabinet and kill myself. Like I, and that's a crazy thing to say. Right. I understand, I understand that it's a crazy thing to say, but the anger and shame I would have toward myself for not living the per- the life that I was meant to live, that it was so clearly by God or anything, whatever, whoever you believe in. Like, I don't know why, but I was put on this earth to write songs. Yep. Clearly. And, it's um, very obvious. Thank you. And um, so I, even though Berkeley's a school of music, I'd been there and I realized, I was like, that's not, that's not the move. I'm going to get there and I'm going to get distracted by people and I'm not going to like know what to do. I sabotaged every single college entrance I had um, and told my parents that it was like a mess up with the computer, but I sabotaged it. And so um, sometimes you have to kill something to let something else grow. Um, and so I landlocked myself in Dallas um, and I'm making it so that there's no way that I can't not do music. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, I mean, I work other jobs to make money on the side and stuff, but every single day I spend in the studio doing music, working with mm-hmm. bands, putting something together and, uh, polishing your craft. The ones who make it are the ones who never stop trying. Mm-hmm. And I'm never going to stop trying no matter where it gets me. Oh, let me just so. quickly say something real quick. So <laughs> listeners, if you've been listening to the show for any period of time, you know that what I stand for is helping you discover and grow your purpose. It is worth looking for. It's worth working at. And it takes some real effort, some real work to do this. It doesn't just happen. Oh, look, you know, it's mm-hmm. all rainbows and butterflies. Oh, it's all great. It takes something to do that. And I really want to applaud you for sticking with Thank it you. and showing us what it means to be able to really stand in your place of purpose and not let it go. Recognize that it's a precious thing Thank that you. you can't let go. And also, I would like to say on that is sometimes it's scarier. It's like the OK, you know how they say take the what's the word? Take the path of least resistance. Uh-huh. Sometimes your path is the path of most resistance. And sometimes what you do and who you are can scare you into not wanting to be that anymore. And sometimes people will kick you down while you're on the ground. And the fact that you believe in what you do 
that alone will give anyone the power to not stop and make it be successful in whatever they do. It has nothing to do with how smart you are, where you went to, whether or not you went to like MIT and graduate school. Like it doesn't matter. What matters is, is there a fire burning in your heart and do you care? And was it like, are you going to get there? What are you going to do about it? And, um, I wouldn't really understand that unless I'd gone through what I had. Well, and also to your point, to your message, you're going to need help to get there. Oh, yeah. Totally. You're going to need to keep <laughs> totally. asking for help all totally. the way along and getting good at asking for help, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. Um, yours truly has had to learn that, too. So <laughs> It's not a weak thing to do. Not at all. Not at all. And in fact, I want to talk a little bit about you speaking in schools. So I want to understand yeah. where this whole idea came from to be on speaking in schools. Okay. So what's that? What's the name of the organization that you were speaking through? It was um, uh, All Star Nation. All Star Nation. Yeah. So okay. um, basically, there was this tour thing that I went on called All Star Nation where they, they went to a bunch of different schools and set up a giant concert. Um, basically, if you go to school, you show up and they're like, okay, you got an assembly in the gym. It's like, sweet, I got out of math class. Um, and then you show up and they'd show up and there'd be like a whole light fixture and like a screen. And honestly, it was beautifully put together. Mm-hmm. Um, and we would come out and play songs, play great shows. And these kids would be doing the wave. And then we'd stop and we'd be like, okay, here's bullying. This is what we're going to talk about today. And so, like, they're kind of cornered into, like, woo, we're paying attention. We can't just, like, sit back and watch you like this, like you're an adult, you know, who's who we don't want to talk to. We have to be engaged. Mm-hmm. And the power of bringing music and social connection and social speaking and talking about mental health issues. Um, I've been through so many different mental health, like, meetings and, like, um, seminars and whatnot. Nothing has been that powerful. We had kids who were six or seven years old on the ground crying because something that somebody said is exactly what they're going through. We had people coming up to us, mm-hmm. kids coming up to us saying, I've never told anybody this, but, you know, like there's these things happening at home that, you know, are affecting my life. And I would never have told anybody unless you came to school today. And so um, that really inspired me. I was just like, wow, being a musician isn't just being a guy who sings. It's also being icon is not the word like a symbol for something you have to have a message which i did have you're but a spokesperson as well yeah exactly that's the word that's the word spokesperson for something yeah through your music and through your life and so um i want to try to you know find a way to reinvent that kind of idea somewhere in a much less um you know insane way where it could be more intimate whether it's you know going into certain specific classrooms or classes in colleges or high schools um high schools and middle schools preferably um and just around dallas and try to spread my message personally and talk about the things that i've learned and you know hopefully encourage some kids that are going through something to walk into a counselor's office grab a little piece of candy out of the bowl and sit there and wait for them to be ready and talk to them and say like and also i think one thing i want to help people understand is like if you go talk to a counselor they're not going to kick you out of school People think if I go tell them the truth that I was part of the group that got caught doing this in the bathroom, like or whatever, if, if I was part of the kids who bullied this kid until they came to the teacher and, and, and it was a problem, but I didn't speak up or if I'm going to get in trouble, it's not like that the thing that those people are there for is to help you. And nobody, no adult wants to see a child in pain. Right. Like, no That's adult exactly at right. all. Like anybody right. with the right mind wants to help because... An adult in pain is different than a child in pain. An adult is somebody who would have their stuff together, but children they don't have that knowledge. And so I hope that, you know, within the next year, I can kind of get some headway and 
going into schools, talking to people, um, or just starting to make connections in schools and talk to counselors, and maybe we'll do it through a video or something. I don't know yet, but um, okay, really so question for it. A couple of things. So I don't know of anybody who gets up in the morning and goes, you know, I just kind of want to, you know, just be under a rock. I don't want, I don't want anybody to notice that I'm, I'm alive, and I don't want to make any kind of a difference. I, you know, I kind of hope my life just mm-hmm. kind of passes by. Everybody that I know of wants to make a difference, mm-hmm. wants to matter in some way. Yeah. You have an opportunity, Griffin, to make an enormous difference in the lives of thousands and maybe millions of people. Thank you so much. Millions of people. Thank you. And, when, and I can tell you the reason I do the work that I do is because I know a lot of people are walking through life dead and they don't even know it. Mm-hmm. Now, if they get to a place where they're in anxiety and depression, they need your message. And so, so for you, I mean, will you consider going even outside of Dallas to speak? Oh yeah, and play your music. Okay, I'm just kidding. Okay, <laughs> uh, but like I would, I my goal in life is, you know, in a few years, I want to be touring the country, and okay, um, I want to maybe even, you know, blend my tours together into something where I can play, you know, f- let's say four or five states, and <clears throat> spend two months on tour instead of like a, two weeks. And spend a week in every state going to the biggest high schools in that state or something like that. And okay. just spread the message that way while I'm performing at venues okay. as well. I think that is a fantastic plan and strategy. So listeners around the world, <laughs> around the United States, you know, here is somebody who actually can bring in a powerful message who's literally been there, done that, got the mess, got the T-shirt and the bloody nose and everything else with it, mm-hmm. um, who can bring a message that that kids need to hear. So just keep that in mind as you're considering how to, how to interact with this young man. We're almost out of time here, but two things really quick. Um, what do you think parents need to understand about what to look for, notice, or support their teen when they're maybe experiencing sadness, depression? What, what, are they, what could they notice? If you get into the car and you ask your kid, how was your day at school today? And they say, good. Stop the car and turn around and say, okay, I'm going to stay here until you tell me what happens today. You know what I'm saying? Like, push for answers. Don't just let kids get away with telling you nothing because that is the worst thing you could do. Like, you don't want to be uninformed. If it was a had to do with kids... Safety, physical, personal safety of like life or death in that regard, parents would be all over that. They'd be like, tell me what's going on. Right, right, right. But since it's a emotional, social interaction kind of issue, bullying and anxiety and social depression and and whatnot, it goes unnoticed because you can get into a habit of being like, how was your day at school today? Good. And I get that the kid's tired or whatever, but then at the dinner table, push for it. Understand what's going on because there's so many people who are being bullied um, online who are being bullied in school, who are having things going on at home, who are having things going on, even having teachers being bullying them, you know what I'm saying? That don't say anything because they're afraid and nobody pushes them. Okay, um, that is, that's so powerful. And I wish I would have known that because I certainly have let my daughter not, not really tell me about her day before mm-hmm. too. So message for me too. Thank you, Griffin. <laughs> thank you. We're, we're out of time already, but I want to, so I want to say thank you so very much for coming on the show, letting me come into your home, letting me hear your music and being just moved by it. And the message that you're up to, what you're, what you're doing in life, Griffin, is so important. I'm so happy to get to share you with my listeners. It's amazing. Thank and thank you guys. So how, if people want to reach out to you, where do they, where should they go to learn about your work and how to contact you? Um, I've got a website, www.griffinholpy.com. Would you spell that for them? Um, G-R-I-F-F-I-N-H-O-L-T-B-Y. Okay, awesome. So um, amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm very inspired by what you're up to, and I will continue to live and work my own purpose because of you. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much. And listeners, if you missed last week's show, you can always catch a recorded podcast. We were on the air with Dr. Arthur Sir talking about his latest book, which is called 
the soulful leader, soulful leader, success with authenticity, integrity, and empathy. Next week, we'll be on the air with Batya Yaniger of the Viktor Frankl Logotherapy Institute of Israel. We'll be talking about just what that interesting term means and how it's actually employed to live our best life. See you there. Remember that work is at least one third of our life, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work. <laughs>